first hour is just like cutting lettuce, firing a man. Hello there and welcome to the recommendation game. My name is Orla McNeilis. My name is Ricardo Deegan. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This is a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch them separately and then we Skype slash Riverside to discuss them. This week's film is Psycho 2 from 1983. Norman Bates is judged, restored to sanity and is ordered released forthwith. It's 22 years later and Norman Bates is coming home. I own a motel not too far from here. And you'd be welcome to spend the night in one of the empty rooms if you'd like. Good night, Mary. And he's back in business. Who is this? My mother is dead. I'm telling you, there was a note on that wheel for my dead mother. Norman, it couldn't be your mother. It had to be someone else. But trust her. She would never do anything to hurt me. No. She'll kill you. I know she will. No, I... I won't do that. You can't make me... kill her. 22 years later, Norman Bates is home. Psycho 2. It's starting again. Two decades after the original murders at the Bates Motel, Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins, completes his treatment at a mental institution and returns home to find his hotel run down under the management of Warren Toomey. <laughs> Despite a new friendship with a waitress uh, and a job bussing tables at a diner, Norman begins to hear voices once again. No matter how hard he tries, Norman cannot keep Mother from returning and coaxing him to unleash the homicidal maniac within. Also, I think he's at the job for like what one day <laughs> <So>. <laughs> just cut some more lettuce norman um the film was directed by richard franklin written by tom holland based on characters created by robert block produced by hilton a green and bernard schwartz starring anthony perkins vera miles anthony perkins though i believe not anthony sorry anthony uh meg tilly and robert logia Cinematography by Dean Cundy and edited by Andrew London. Music by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, Ricardo, why did you pick this movie? Because it was my Halloween pick. The, <laughs> sure, like, uh, let me put it this way. Whenever I uh, posted on the chat group, uh, my film chat group that we have with roommates, I posted that I was watching Psycho 2. And the reaction was like, oh, is it like The Exorcist 3, like an underrated sequel? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's exactly that. That it's the kind of film that you, is far better 
that it needs to be, let's say, as a sequel to, especially a sequel that comes in like 15 years later from the original, you think that it'd be... It's 22 years, actually, because Psycho's 1960. Okay, Jesus, yeah. So 22 years after the the fact this comes along and you you think that obviously Hitchcock has no involvement in it. There's so many reasons for the film to fail and i think similarly to exorcist 3 the reason the cycle 2 works is that it doesn't try to do the ghostbusters 2 thing that is same but different trying to capture exactly the the magic of the original let's say like just going straight to color like uh and doing the recall in the beginning of the movie i thought it was quite clever uh Partly because it's been 22 years and it's before VHS and everything else has really taken off. So I think it was important to, in the beginning of the movie, like now looking back at it with modern eyes, you're like, of course, that that's what happened in cycle one. But whenever back then you, you might have people come into the cinema and they haven't seen cycle since it was in the cinema or maybe First like seen on it TV, etc. Yeah, because this movie does quite work as a standalone movie, which I think that it is very impressive because similarly to The Exorcist 3, because it's telling its own story. It's just like it does help whenever you're watching the movie if you have seen the original because it does a lot of visual callbacks and there are some moments of tension because of those callbacks you're associating a a behavior or a moment to something that happened in the original movie so and then whenever something doesn't happen because of that it's like okay there it's a different beast let's say that the filmmakers go i do like that the, the film takes its time in the beginning uh establishing the character establishing re-establishing the world uh that this film takes place in and also uh allowing you to see norman really as the main character in this movie, which he isn't in the original. It's kind of the original is almost like a cat and mouse trying to catch him, basically, or what's going on. Well, in this movie, he's trying to really get into his mindset and what he basically had to go through in his childhood. It's the kind of movie that is not made anymore, that you don't really know where the movie is going as you're watching it. That you're kind of like, but at the same time, whenever the movie ends, you're like, okay, it makes sense. It's not that it's just random left turns to just take you off the tracks or whatever. It's a movie that is actually trying to, like, it has a cohesive idea and also a cohesive theme. And it deals with uh, the Norman Bates character in a cohesive way that it's complicated as well, that it's not completely black and white let's say in a way that the original movie does it's almost weird that the sequel is far more sympathetic to the character but also more in depth because psycho is far better uh, as a film let me just be clear about that the <laughs> psycho one is a masterpiece psycho two is not but at the same time it's it is a very worthy follow-up 
And I think that the reviews that really got the film wrong are like Roger Ebert and stuff like that, that they're basically complaining that the movie doesn't try to be Psycho 1. And it's like, <laughs> how? Like, that'd be really like a, an exercise in in futility. Like, why would you try to mimic one of the greatest movies ever? You just have to try to do your own thing. and Or remake it, Shopesha. Yeah. <laughs> with Vince Fong for some reason. <laughs> Vince Fong for some reason. Who was the, was it Michelle Williams? No, Scarlett Johansson? No, it, it's uh, 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 Julian Moore. Is it? It's Julian Moore and Anne Hesch. Jesus, what even year was that? 2000 and... Uh, I have a very uh, strange connection to Zodiac in this, yeah? Oh, fantastic. You know how I love that. Okay, so... Dean Cudi, uh, it's a great cinematographer, and I think the uh, like this movie shot really, really well uh, to begin with. Like the the last shot by the side of the house and stuff like that. I think he's a brilliant cinematographer, and it's really interesting how he is. Whenever I say about visual callbacks, I think that it's clever that they decided to go with color rather than black and white, because then the callbacks don't become like repetitions. It's more. It's more like an homage than anything else. But he shot the fog. Yeah, Halloween. he shot the. Fog. He did loads of uh, John Carpenter. Carpenter's movies. He also worked with Robert Zemeckis quite a lot, and that's Jurassic the connection. Park. Yeah, like uh, he he's done like Jesus, loads of stuff. Thirteen, holy fuck, this guy's prolific. <clears throat> Still working. The Parent Trap as well, which was the last movie that I've ever seen in Brazil. The Holiday. Uh, I love the holiday. Oh my god, flubber! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> that this guy just should every mid budget. 90s yeah, movie? and he also shot Jack and Jill, which also means that he <laughs> shot the the Al Pacino, Cappuccino, the Duncaccino <laughs> oh episode. Like that was really like a paycheck role, like probably before he retired Casper? or anything. He shot two movies in nineteen ninety four: The Flintstones and Casper. No, sorry. Casper and Apollo 13 were 1995. Holy shit. The Parent Trap? My God. Yeah, Parent Trap, like I said, was the last movie that I ever saw in Brazil. Yeah, we went to see Bugs Life and there was no no screenings for Bugs Life. So I watched The Parent Trap and I'll watch Aww. anything with Dennis Quaid in fairness. Um, I know. I love that movie. But yeah, so Dean Cody, great cinematographer, uh, he shot... Uh, who framed Roger Rabbit and the guy that does the voice for Roger Rabbit in the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit is the guy that uh, draws the posters in Zodiac that is in the basement. Not many people have basements in California. Yeah. I do. Oh my god. So that's a, a fairly good deep cut there for you uh, uh, connecting Zodiac there. Mr. Graysmith. I do the posters myself. It's my handwriting. You can really tell that Anthony Perkins uh, really cares about the character and Norman Bates as well. Like the, it's not just a paycheck role. Like the, he can, he wants to represent the character in a way, and you can really tell that it is like he's pushing for that depth that I was talking about earlier, and. I think that Meg Tilly as well gave, gives a very good um, 
performance in this movie because like it's that kind of weird 80s vibes of cinema that is like if in oh, what's the name of the book i can't remember there's a book bo- book about history of cinema that there's a, a a saying about how american filmmaking and european filmmaking split down the middle at some stage that european cinema continued to focus on realism and american cinema focused on magic realism mm. you know you watch a french movie or like I saw, what was the film that I saw? I saw A Fire, the Christian Potzel film from last year. Uh, the, the guy that oh. did Phoenix. Uh, yeah. It was really good, but like you go in and you sit there and it's like, yeah, this movie takes place in the world that I live in here. You know, it's it's not like even the way that people act and they talk, there's no unbelievability, but also it's like their performances are based on real people rather than film performance if that makes sense they're like Mike Tilly's accent if, if you're what like not accent performance if you're she's Canadian if you put her into a European kind of new realist movie the performance would be terrible but in this movie it really works because she's playing off Anthony Perkins so well like that they're both kind of flaky in a way in their performance because a lot of the time in the beginning in particular, and you notice the shift in the performance that you go like, she's acting really bad. But then you realize that it's like she was actually acting really bad because her character is a bad actor. And the moment that you realize that she's being honest with uh, Norman about who she really is, it becomes an actual performance, let's say. And I, I like it on rewatch because I hadn't seen this movie in a few years on rewatch noticing that because I knew where the movie was going and I was like oh she's being bad because it's like she's just pretending to be this girl in trouble and stuff like that that it's like really hamming it up the fact that the boyfriend is terrible or that like her girl like her friend is like sleeping in the moon bedroom apartment where her boyfriend and stuff like that the first time that I watched this movie, I didn't know who the real killer was. And I liked the the twists and turns that you th- that the only murder that Norman commits is the last one. Even though they try to drive him to madness, is like he was mad uh, from the beginning. And some people criticize it that it's like, oh yeah, this movie is a commentary on uh, mental health issues. And then it doesn't really come to... Uh, salient point because of the twists at the end and I'm like it's Psycho 2 come on like <laughs> you can't like expect it they to be like know the, what the mental health was in to be studied in the fucking psychiatrist psychologist courses and stuff and I think that the movie does enough to be sympathetic with somebody that has mental health issues and that people should be given uh, given a chance I think that it's not criticizing that kind of that, like it's criticizing the people that are aware of what they're doing rather than the movie plays that the norma doesn't know better that he's not evil he's just not right let's say and he's like leatherface you know leatherface doesn't know any better leatherface just wants to be left alone people keep coming to his fucking house <laughs> Yeah, but it is uh, oddly uh, tragic as well. The the how how much she tries in the beginning to to be away from from it all kind Making of thing. Making little sandwiches, cutting those and, lettuce. Um, yeah, 
Uh, but without further ado, what did you think of Psycho 2? Is it better than The Exorcist 3? <laughs> Just on, I liked The Exorcist 3, didn't I? You did, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I put it into one of the little montage things I did one on one of our birthdays, um, just on the issues of uh, mental health. Before I forget, um, and its portrayal in Psycho. In fairness, I think it's. <laughs> I don't know if it's handled better in this movie, but at least it doesn't have like the psychiatrist turning up at the end, being like, "Ha! The year is nineteen sixty, so he must have a dapper psychologist come and explain Norman at the very end." Like what I do like about um uh the character of the psychologist in this movie is that he's kind of like Donald Pleasance. He's like the he's like the opposite of Donald Pleasance in Halloween, where he's oh, yeah. there like you know like sneaking around the bushes and everything being like he's a murderer uh but in this he's just kind of trying to look after norman and kind of ignoring some really questionable things really <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, kind of like sad as well in the beginning <laughs> that he's like oh yeah because of the cutbacks uh, you're not gonna get a social service person coming in and checking on on you so i'll have to do it myself oh it's like is that a reagan reference it's like shit well they are where are they california um <laughs> All right, so <laughs> this <laughs> I feel I may have set myself up slightly for failure with this one because I did a double build. I went straight from Psycho. Oh my god, that is this. insane! Why would you do that? Like that—that that is not giving this movie <laughs> a, a chance. I hadn't, I hadn't seen it in ages, and I was like, I kind of want to like remember all the little things. And I, Anthony Perkins is so good in that fucking movie, so I was like, I wanted to be able to see like the real transition between him and like how he's portraying the character and stuff. Um, and the first thing I was really struck by was he seems way older than he is because he's only like 52 or something in this movie. And he seems way older than that, but he's also like kind of childlike. It's very, it's unsettling. Um, but yeah, I do. I do want to say that, like, I'm not. I'm not like. I love Psycho. It's really good. It, I remember the first time I watched it. It. I watched it probably too young. With my sister Claire being like, "Just don't look at this bit," and <laughs> the bit when they sprint her around in the fruit cellar is genuinely terrifying. But what's funny is whenever I was watching it last night, you forget how stressful just her driving in the fucking car is. You're like, Marion, turn around. You don't need the money. Um, just leave it back. You can redeem yourself, Marion. And also how bad she is at crime. Like, when the cop stops her and is like, she's like, I can go then, I can go. And he's like, you're acting very suspicious, lady. Um, and then she buys another car right in front of him. Anyways. But yeah, so, but I'm not like a purist. I don't think that you can't make sequels to things that are themselves perfect movies. Um, not that sequels perfect, but it is fantastic. Um, so like, I was, I was like very much looking forward to going back in and like seeing what happens to Norman, especially because I did learn a lot more about um, like Anthony Perkins himself and his sort of troubled life where, um, he was gay, but because it was the 50s, he was, like, having these, like, very secretive relationships with, like, men. And then, like, the studio finds out and kind of makes him go on these double dates with these, like, women. And he ends up marrying women, one of them and then having kids and sort of trying to keep up this facade that he was this family man while also, like, still being with their men and stuff. And just, like, a really interesting, very troubled guy. Like, a lot of actors at that time because they were hiding who they really were 
so he's really like channeling all that into this movie and because as well like um or the original movie that he'd um uh he played mostly sort of like shy romantic characters leading up to this so this was a real like you know amazing opportunity for him and he got to work with Hitchcock um but then it sort of like defined him for years that he was just Norman he didn't really ever really want to like um like even think of a sequel but then when the script for this came along because it not only makes Norman the main character but also um like makes him sympathetic and you're really rooting for Norman in this you're like come on buddy you can do it like when he gets to the house at the start and he has his little bag of groceries you're like he just how many boxes of cereals this one has has a lot of cereal Uh, also watching him make coffee was interesting (laughs) it's got this little um um I think that my my issue with it was um, I re- I like the idea of the story. I like the idea of um, like bringing back the Crane family as well. It being her sister and the daughter, and you know all. The- I find that I love the idea of the of Norman behind it all actually just being completely doolally, and then like, just prodding him a little bit, and how, you know. And for a lot of the movie, Norman's not even really inter- interacting with what's going on. He's completely in his own head. And he keeps saying things and like, oh, Norman, remember? And he's like, yes. But in the back of his head, he's like, my real mother. Uh, which is a nice touch as well. The fact that Norman was adopted. So they just throw in like another woman at the end who he then kills the shovel. Sure. Um I, th- I think it's the issue is the tone of it is what kind of bugged me in the end because it was like I kept writing down what is the vibe like is it camp is it supposed to be creepy like I'm rooting for Norman but then also why does Anthony Pier- like Andy Perkins look so weird half the time he sort of feels like he's not in the same movie as other people sometimes it's like even um, like Vera Miles who plays uh, Lilac Crane, um, uh, Mary, Marion's sister. Even her performance is a bit all over the shop, and I like—I don't know how I feel about them demonizing her, but at the same time, I kind of like it because it's interesting, it's fun, it's so. I think, I think I kind of wish that the, the, the director had to like put more of his own stamp on it, like like sort of stepped away even more from Psycho. Or more from Hitchcock, rather. I think like I think he made some interesting choices. Like I like the idea that it's in color. A lot of it is happening in daylight. That you know he's he's recreating some things. I think the cinematography is quite good. Um, <clears throat> it's also like <clears throat> I know this is only early eighties, but because it is, it means that like the fashion is still softer. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we're not, not on full nobody's wearing spandex. light warmers or something. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. People are not back combing their hair, um, which I think lends itself to this film because I can't even imagine how bad the one that comes out in 1986 is. Um, I don't even want to. I'm not going to look it up. Um, Yeah, Richard Franklin. uh, So like a lot of a lot of filmmakers of his generation. um, He saw Psycho at a young age and it changed him formatively. Um, uh, But there's a fun little thing on his um, IMDb trivia. So after arranging a screening of Rope at USC, as well as an appearance by Hitchcock himself, the director invited the aspiring young filmmaker to come and follow him about on the set of Topaz. 
Uh, years later, he visited mentor Hitchcock for the last time on the set of Family Plot, 1976, which is Hitchcock's last film. So there you go. He actually like got to meet him and work with him and stuff, which is kind of interesting. Um, and I wonder that there's the dedication at the end of the movie. Then, if he was a lot less, uh, if he's a lot less uh, fanboyish, kind of because there's the dedication that's like for everything that Alfred Hitchcock has given us, or something like that. Dedicated yeah, it's, if, if he feels like less of an asshole than yeah. most directors do, because he actually fucking met him and stuff, and like Hitchcock clearly liked him, so you know, that's yeah, but kinda he was nice. Australian as well. So, well, that is true. <laughs> Just by the fact of not being American. Um, the other fun factoid that I learned, um, I think uh, the Perkins was very sort of skeptical about doing another psycho and sort of eh, they weren't sure they were going to be able to get him. So the person who was almost cast as Norman Bates in Psycho 2 was Christopher <laughs> Christopher Walken. Oh, Jesus, that would have been <laughs> 80s so there Walken is... as well. That's an interesting one. There's a parallel universe where that happened. And oh, my God, I feel like Walken is too young. No, like what, no, but also Walken, Walken would be to Christopher Walken. <laughs> I couldn't possibly say that I dislike this movie. Like I, I quite love the ending. I, I just love how brutal it is. It's like that shot from the top as well. Like it's such a good like, like a feel. You know, whenever you 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 see a hit, you like yeah, yeah. that was a hit. Like I don't know how they oh, yeah. did it because. Like, he probably is a stunt person. Like, there's no way, because they move as well, kind of thing. But I don't know. Like, can you wear something under the, the hair that protect? I don't know. It's, this was, like, 1982 when they made this. He's to fucking say. Um, yeah, like, same times whenever Dennis Franz gets stabbed in the face, it's like, you can tell that he has prosthetics <laughs> in his face right before. It's like, there's no way that his face is going to come out of that intact. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, I don't understand how the thing, which comes out around the same time as this, looks better, as does Robocop. The Robocop, where is Robocop later on? But either way, like, has better special effects. And in fairness... Well, they like, have much higher budgets because they're not well, psycho yeah, too. That's, I, I know, I know. But, like, even... Yeah, and also, I mean, like, freaking Robocop is directed by uh, a madman. <laughs> <laughs> like Bobber Hover would like because, no like similar to like Hitchcock and like Kubrick and stuff like that. There there is the thing sometimes that like some directors will not only go beyond like Carpenter is a good example of that as well. That they're so charismatic that people do way better work just because they want to impress yeah. the guy or like not let the person down. But like with this film, like I think that the the only like major thing that I have is that I think that the sheriff is way too funny in this movie to to the be. The bit at the end when he's like, "That's it all tidied up. Off they go to prison." La la la. We love Norman. Norman, are you okay? That's the end of the movie, folks. Da da. And you're like, what? <laughs> he's just because in the other scenes he's playing it a lot straighter because even whenever they're like they're dredging the swamp i'm sorry who let that swamp exist again after <laughs> the most like crime like specificating like jesus don't christ they check for cars like yearly they're like um <laughs> 
even the fact that like the motel is just being used for like rump and drug use. It's like that place is the, the swamp. The swamp is full of corpses. Um, <laughs> Twelve bodies in the basement. Uh, but yeah, even in that scene, and whenever um, Mary comes over and she's like, "You know, you don't understand. You've misinterpreted Norman. Norman's great. I love Norman." Um, he's 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 warning her. He's like, "You and your mother need to leave town, etc." Like he's playing it relatively straight there. But then as the movie progresses, even like, <laughs> although <laughs> the scene whenever he's um, the psychologist comes in to kind of be like, "You need to look out for Norman." He's like, "Oh, I have been." But he like bites into his sandwich in such an odd, <laughs> specific way. It's like, what are you doing? It's like. Ow. Um, like I said, that like the 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 scariest thing in this movie is about how dry that fucking lettuce is. It should be a cabbage. That looks like a cabbage. There's no way that it's lettuce. Whenever he's chopping that, it's like there's a, how how do Americans call that lettuce? Like lettuce is meant to be soft and solidy, like not like something that you have to chop with the biggest knife that you can find. You want, it should also be kind of moist. It's. <laughs> he's cutting the lettuce for like half an hour it's so stressful and the guy he's like he's got such a the, he's not looking at it it's like <sighs> after watching so much of the bear i just feel like at any moment it was like oh his hands are gone his hands are gone i know yeah. that he's not gonna have like hand issues in this movie but at the same time i was like no his hands are gone like it's interesting in a way like that is quasi religious like the stigmata at the end as well that I don't know like the comment about religion oh, altogether yeah. that, that I just thought I'd mention but it's like you can see that this movie and then like the fourth movie in particular is what kind of inspired people to go oh we should do a a series about Norman Bates growing up and doing like the Bates Motel TV show Have you seen any of that? No, I haven't. I refused to, but not because it's like particularly bad. Like I think that it's got good reviews and it's respect and stuff like that. But get won some Emmys, yeah. Yeah, like but to be honest, it's kind of like is the weird thing redundant. is that I wouldn't like care if it was in the eighties. I would have been like, don't make a sequel to Psycho. But because it does exist and it's like the. T- context that it exists on it becomes interesting the same way that cycle three because it's directed by anthony perkins becomes interesting and then cycle four because it was like a movie that it's like mishmashed into two because perkins wanted to make a fourth one before he died and stuff like that that it becomes like in a roundabout way interesting but like as a historical document as well as a movie but uh mm. like you know but do I need to know more about Norman Bates? Like even the fourth one, it's about his childhood and stuff like that. Like I don't like even this movie already gives you enough to, okay. Like his mother used to bully him. He murdered her whenever he was twelve, and he grew up by himself until he was eighteen, just pretending that she was alive. And then the real mother was her sister, and. It's the funny thing as well that I thought in this movie that is like that the supposedly they gave Norman to like the well-adjusted sister. <laughs> but it shows, you know, <laughs> but it, like same time, like there was that criticism of that in the movie, but it's been proven time and time again that mental health uh, is hereditary. Like there are conditions that are hereditary. I think that this movie gives enough 
depth for the character that it gives it like and also because it's not like the first movie that spends a long time like at the end going like explaining this is the the actual science behind it even though it's completely bullshit the with this like the only bit that it alludes to it is the bit of like once you realize that your mother is dead she has no control over you which sounds like a reasonable thing for a psychiatrist to say rather than uh you know oh this if you do this this and this is like multi it's not split or something like that it's like oh it's rebecca speaking or whatever so do you have any final thoughts um i think like they're my two favorite knife bits in this movie are um the lettuce obviously (laughs) um but also uh the, oh, Norman reading out his little Nor- his orders. I love Norman. Um, and his little t-shirt, he's like painting. Oh, Norman, he just wants a normal life. Uh, my second favorite knife moment is when he's making the sandwich and he like opens the drawer and he's like, oh, no, can't use that. And then Mary's like, there must be knives around here somewhere. And like, <laughs> the dramatic, like, of the, of the knife cutting this like shitty sandwich oh it's just wow it was ridiculous like, don't americans have chefs knives why do they have to wear, use carving knives for everything like even chopping a salad carving knife fucking like the same thing for your thanksgiving turkey you're using for cutting up your pb and j you know um i'm also worried about norman's nutrition i have to say because like Cereals, touching that like lettuce 10 year old <laughs> tea and this is the 1980s version of cereal as well. It is not fortified. <laughs> I do like the like what we mentioned in the piscine. The like uh, there's such a pleasure of looking at how brands and like things looked back in the day that is yeah. now because even whenever you do like uh, a period piece and it is the way the it was. Let's say whenever you watch something like Licorice Pizza or something like that, it still feels like artificial because everything is placed there on purpose rather than like they just send the production designer to buy a load of fucking cereal or you know what i mean like or like they just went to a petrol station and just bought some shit yeah yeah, like the instant coffee (laughs) or whatever um but i do think like it's uh it is pretty funny the on many like knife bits in this movie it's very (laughs) knifey movie like yeah it's a knifey movie anywho uh what was your favorite thing (laughs) I think it's Anthony Perkins in this movie. Like I like I like I really like the cinematography by Dean Cundey. Like I think he's a really talented cinematographer, especially for somebody that was operating in like the very fucking flat eighties. Like he mm. like because there was it's whenever cinema started to like production started to move quicker, the idea like of mixing the cinema aesthetic to the aesthetic of uh daytime soaps and stuff like that just to make productions cheaper and i think that even though the look there's like less hard shadows and stuff like that it moves away from the greg tolan kind of gordon willis vibe of the 70s shadows it's um like it does 
still kind of harkens back to like even whenever like shooting through corridors and stuff like that it, it reminds me how east of eden is shot and stuff like that that it's like using the frames in the mid like using frames within frames and stuff that like every frame of painting would have mentioned like a million times that is what you do and i think it's very like i appreciate that but i think that like you said that like then anthony perkins <laughs> was so reluctant to get on the road uh, to um shoot a sequel that he really wanted to do this one because that's what he, why he did it and he's such a good actor that it's like it's a pity to a certain degree that like not to a certain degree it's a complete pity that a lot of times actors like him come to like are so good in a role whenever they come to um to fame that people always associate them with that role and it's really hard to break Anthony Hopkins away. sorry Anthony Hopkins with uh, Silence of the Lambs yeah yeah but Anthony Hopkins have has, has had a career that is far and away more varied than yeah I know the... he's like more he's more prolific and stuff but I feel like to a lot of people Anthony Hopkins is always going to be Hannibal Lecter yeah but even like before like Anthony Hopkins in the 70s was in the most expensive movie of all time like uh, at the time A Bridge Too Far he was co Bill with Sh- fucking Sean Connery who was James Bond at the time <laughs> so it's not like uh, he won an Oscar for like working with David Lynch a couple of years later in the, the elephant man and stuff so it's not like he he needed uh silence of the lambs i know that it's like well most people would associate him with let's say and that's partly like also because he did three movies of it but not doing what perkins did because hannibal and uh red dragon are awful awful movies okay oh, hannibal God, at yeah. least is like a really soft movie so it's like a really weird fucking at least it's odd <laughs> like uh fucking red dragon is so bad especially because you know m- fucking manhunter is so weird it's like how can you make the most like bothly the the weirdest movie yeah, ever and is... the most boring movie ever using the same source material but you know like even coming Man, to um, the tiny little shorts like he still has like pull to make movies that are not like mid-budget movie the what's the movie that he did about the the world war ii guy that saved like a hundred jewish kids during the holocaust anthony hopkins yeah yeah like there's a movie that came out there like uh this year i don't know you've probably seen it on youtube that there's a a famous famous uh show that like on tv that they got him to like honor him on stage, like on a ceremony or something. And uh, they go like, oh yeah, yeah. Like you saved 150 people during the Holocaust or whatever. Uh, like they were children. I just like, oh, you, whatever. And then uh, the everybody around him stands up and starts applauding. And they're like the kids that he saved like 30 years later. And the movie is about that, that guy. It's like very touching story, whatever. Like I, I think that the, Probably this the problem whenever you do something like this that like a lot of the plot is like Anthony Hopkins nowadays, and then another actor portraying like young Anthony yeah. Hopkins back in the day, and that's why I think that even though it's really really weird, that it really works that the Irishman they de-aged them, 
because you can't get like somebody to play young De Niro and young Pesci and young Pacino and be like they're gonna have the same gravitas. You'd be like looking back. You have to be like if you're gonna do that, you have to Someone be as good. Someone plays him. Someone plays him quite well in the uh, what was the show about um, the making of the Godfather? The guy who plays Pacino in that is really good. Oh, okay, he kind of. Yeah, but like obviously that was no, not. Um, it's that good. But uh, oh yeah, it's a really fun show. It's like it was genuinely a really interesting story. Just like the madness around the production of that film, and like everyone, like What's I'm trying to think. Again? Uh, the producer or the the something. Uh, Miles Teller's in it. He's very good. Okay. So. Yeah, so basically that's where I'm at. The, like, I think that the film, like I said, it's better produced, but more importantly, better written than has any need to be and also has more depth than it needs to be. And I think that the, like together, like I suppose if there was like a close second to my favorite thing, if it's not Anthony Perkins' performance and like his whole approach to the movie, is the fact that like the movie doesn't try to be cycle one because... There's so many sequels that, you know, even again, we call them back to Dean Kundi, the Halloween 1 and Halloween 2, it's like just more of the same. And I know there was a contractual yeah. thing or whatever, but like he shot both of them. Like, there's certain moments where you're watching Halloween 2 and because it's less memorable than Halloween two, 1, you're like, is this Halloween 1? Like, you know, if you show me a scene of Halloween 2 randomly i'm like oh yeah that's halloween it'll be like instantly recognizable but at the same time you're like i don't know which one it is but i do appreciate that they didn't try to just like quote unquote recapture the magic that um, sometimes it does um whatchamacallit it it can pay off and sometimes it can't like for example the lost world jurassic park like doesn't try to recapture the magic of the first one doesn't quite work the third one tries to recapture the magic, and it's even worse. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite thing? Oh, uh, oh okay. My favorite thing is uh, <laughs> just like imagining um, uh, the mother and daughter running around staging all the shit. So the fact that they like set up the entire bedroom perfectly, and then have to like dismantle it and put it back the way. It like, well, part of it, I, the... I don't know if they did that or not. But they do talk about it with each other, though. Like the room? The room specifically, they do, yeah. Oh, okay. It's the other stuff that's kind of like, um, you know, like the murders and stuff that's kind of like, that's a bit fuzzy. But no, like they do, because that's whenever, that's whenever the, um, the tw- you know, you realize the twist because Norman's been locked upstairs and that's whenever Mary suddenly realizes that he couldn't be doing the murders because he's being locked upstairs um <laughs> and because she's like norman um yeah her and her mom have a conversation then when mom's like you know it's going so well we must do more <laughs> we're so evil <laughs> we must drive this man mad enough to almost kill somebody but don't worry you'll be safe i'll have a the cops and a psychologist out to you before you'll be in danger it's like i don't think you're in that can much control of the uh the situation but even the fact like uh your one like gets murdered and there's in the basement and there's there's no all the blood is gone everything is gone the kids the kids that never reappear again <laughs> like, like it's like i have to say that like 
especially no for editor Horla, especially if we do re-record Lupus scene, that is second week in a row, or maybe the mm. very Colombo vibes. You know how there's no blood in any murder or whatever. That is very easy. You know, like in Colombo, is like they shoot somebody in the head and then move the body, and it's like, oh, blood is not a thing. I do like it in Colombo to a certain degree because, you know, it's it's like you don't want like just CSI the shit out of it. You want them to like talk themselves into trouble yeah you know? so like you want the colombo moment otherwise what's the fucking point the bit where they just go enhance like we started <laughs> watching the the 90s and early 2000s colombo there oh my gosh. old colombo very old colombo yeah oh my god i did quite start getting um suggestions for like classic criminal minds like fan edits on youtube and i was like stop that like Gideon is still in them and everything I think it's just a lot of like you know, everyone on Tumblr was like in love with Reed like Matthew Gray Goobler it's like oh no, man Felipe was in in Spain and he was uh, he watched uh, he was like oh I'm just watching Criminal Minds here with mom because it was the only thing that was on or whatever and I was like what's the episode that I remember the episode it just felt like <laughs> good god i'm a loser like how many episodes did you make me watch like oh fuck you very much you love the gideon episodes gideon um not as good as whenever john montaigne comes in (laughs) that's like i think he's like the third hey rossi what's in the box so good um so your oh, favorite thing is like the, w- picturing that running around just, coming just, into just stage management of it like the logistics that are involved getting, getting I the mean, job like how did she get the job right before he did perfect in time like they've set it up just like mwah. even the fact of like just giving enough so that he's um, automatically protective of here. Also, he's very socialized considering um, that uh, <laughs> he's been like in an institution for this long. You have to but, say uh, that he's like the worst DA ever. As so I was like, I like he, he has kind of like I have better things to be doing than keeping <laughs> like the biggest serial killer that has been around Fuck. in my neighborhood behind bars. I I do kind of love how people are just like, oh norman because <laughs> even like the cop in psycho whenever they go to him at the start like um uh like the sister and the the boyfriend go to the cop in the middle of the night and they're like the f- arpagast is not coming back like what the fuck is going on you need to call up there and he's like hello norman <laughs> oh i'm doing just fine oh he left okay cool not suspicious bye norman he's kind of just like a and it's like Boo Radley or something. It's the thing <laughs> that Radley, you really have to appreciate is that the true hero in this movie is the 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 chef in the diner or whatever the the main kid. because the woman gives him the job because Norman is her son, but the guy is nobody, and he was still like, "Here's a knife, Norman. I'll turn my back on you." <laughs> Or like that, like he fucking throws fucking hot, hot shit oil. oil. 
<laughs> all over him. Like, he's like, are you all right, Norman? He like Norman quits that job. Like he doesn't get fired after doing that shit. He quits that job after screaming, saying that there's notes in the. <laughs> the hot oil is so funny. It's like, <laughs> Like a serial killer throws hot oil at you and then starts <laughs> screaming that there's like a no. Okay, fair enough. Like that we've established that it was uh, like planted there by somebody else. But yeah, but, the- but at the same time, like he doesn't know that. And he's like, just like, where's me lettuce? All right, Norman, come back in here. My hand is blistering. You're going to need you to take There's over one thing that I have to say that is like hilarious, like not related to this. But, uh, <sighs> but I, I started doing it because I'm so used to cooking now with my air fryer because it's like it's just usually just me and Alex. So if I'm doing like, you know, like five chicken thighs or whatever, like it makes more sense to just throw them in, in, in the ninja than turning on the, this big fucking fuck off oven just to do it but then whenever like i'm cooking something that i need the oven i forget that whenever you open the oven don't put your face immediately <laughs> it like yesterday burned my eyebrows off like uh, i did like aubergine parmigiana and i was like oh is it ready oh, oh so good i i breaded them in ciabatta bread like the the aubergines and then fried them and then went in and then i did it in layers as well so there's cheese in the middle so it's like aubergine oh my god mozzarella parmesan parmesan oregano some (laughs) like the my uh, special tomato sauce which like since i've uh got the tea it was so easy to make but it's unbelievable never get chopped tomatoes again but um what was, uh, what was your least favorite thing? We've gone off the deep end here. Uh, my least favorite thing was that I kind of find it a little bit boring at times. You know, and like... Yeah, I, I, think, I think it was that I didn't like love it despite its flaws. You know what I mean? I just, I couldn't quite get on board with it and it disappointed me. I do think that it's like... You did acknowledge it on the on your uh, opening so statements, but I, I think <laughs> watching this back to back to Psycho is the worst way to watching it. It's kind of you want to watch it with like a memory of what Psycho felt like, you know, because this is yeah. kind of like you know whenever going back to cooking that it's like whenever it feels like <laughs> when somebody like takes some like a recipe that you might have eaten in like a Michelin star restaurant and is trying to like adapt it for home cooking but like make it a little bit different and like but simplify it and stuff like that and do it uh, they're really like obviously the um, the depth in the original movie is the filmmaking and the depth in here is the writing so I think that they're like once you go from like the best soundtrack, the best fucking opening logos ever, the best like opening like you know you have a Hitchcock at his best. It's just tension from minute one till the end, <laughs> and then you get to this movie and it's kind of like first hour is just like cutting lettuce, firing a man. Then it's like, oh yeah, it's stabbing, but it's like there's no build up to the stabbing the same way in the the with the first movie. So I do think that I do agree that it, like pacing, like it's, it's way too long. 
way yeah, too long. It's very long. And I think, but even like scene by scene, the editing, it's both bad, like not bad, like because I do really like, I obviously picked this movie because I really like it. But mainly I, thought, I think that it's like similar, like I, going back to the beginning, I think The Exorcist 3 is a better movie than this, to be honest. Yeah. But also, I think that this is a worthy follow-up. And I think that, like, as it turns out, like, the we did have, like, a good conversation about the movie. That sometimes I do pick a movie knowing that it's not, like, perfect. But there's, like, so much to talk about it. But also, it's like, I wish more people had seen it. Because it's also worthy of being seen. It might not be worthy of being rewatched a number of times and stuff like that. But there are a lot of movies like that that I feel that are it like especially yeah. nowadays that there's like so many movies that are not even like you know going like I I saw the new Patrick Williams video about like Ryan Reynolds and uh Dwayne The Rock Johnson like being brands themselves oh. rather than movie yeah actors and stuff and it's true what the bit that is like you can't like you watch like ryan reynolds movie. i don't know like if you watch like six underground or any other fucking movie that he's done lately that is like they're all just a vehicle for selling something else or just to keep his name in the i don't know like it's not like you know a man needs to like I, I respect the hustle, I suppose. But, um, yeah, you got kids, you gotta, you know. But, like, it's it's a movie that it's like, you know, it was done with care, it was done with love, it wasn't like just content or money or whatever. Like, every, like even to make it and get a Perkins involved and stuff like that, it, it, it involved actually trying their best. Like, you can tell watching this movie that everybody's trying their best to make the best movie that they can. Regardless, that is like technically a uh, uh, a product, but not TV only that, movie? it's like um, what you call it. They say content. It's uh, not. It's part of a franchise. Mm. You know, like, but they. It's not like the the part of the directing. I think that it's like in a way. That's why Psycho Three is weird because you almost wish that Perkins had directed this one rather than. The third one because Perkins is a better director than uh, the guy that directed this one, Richard Franklin. But the script is a lot weaker, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like you're like you're splitting the difference, let's say. But I do like the the poster of the third one that is just like Anthony Perkins holding a key, and the tagline is "This one is the most awful one of them." There is a lot of love on screen. I'll definitely um, agree with you there. Even I find like, even having the like, it's it's the same house, right? Like it looks very similar, if not the same. Yeah, but to be honest, I I can't remember if it is a set or not. Because obviously whenever they have him walking up and down, it is like a physical building. It's not like, it's not forced perspective and stuff like that. Like I do like there's definitely stairs. Sorry? There's def- there, it's definitely real stairs in a real house, like those shots, anyways. But the like, interior, ra- whether I don't or not, know if like, it's like a studio or not. I feel like the kitchen probably is, and like, but the fruit cellar. Also, that's a different fruit cellar. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was a different fruit cellar. Uh, but apart from that, like, even 
like the motel and the little bits of it that we see and stuff it's like the geography of it is the same and like the weird even the fact like the landscape because it's california it's very like dusty and you know like the going up the steps to the house like the where the house is in relation to the motel and stuff is very similar so you can use the and they do in the opening scene i think that they shot it in the same like the same location so but i think the the if I remember correctly, the both the motel and the house were built like they're shells. Mm. That, uh, but I think that they did like that they just picked like a side of the road or whatever, like to to have full control. But I might be wrong here. Um, it was kind of funny, like uh, the Alex's comment whenever we finished watching the movie that it's like the final shot. It's like, oh, it's amazing because it's, he's kind of translucent. So it's like, is he a ghost or a person? And I was like, yeah, that actually makes sense whenever you think about it, like meaning wise. But like in my head, I'm like, it's just that the special effects are not great because it's uh, it's a f- fake sky. So they probably keyed it like to not perfectly. And, you know, it's whenever they were great. cutting him off or whatever, it's like, oh, would you, nobody will notice. <laughs> Yeah, particularly not on VHS. Um, yeah, that was uh, uh, that was Psycho too. Um, halfway through this, I was like, "Wait, it was Psycho 2 He wanted me to watch, right? I was like, "Imagine I watched the wrong one." Uh, but yeah, I, oh, yeah, I because, didn't. But I suppose that I didn't tell you to pay to watch Exorcist too. So no, you did not. So I was confused, but then it, it was fine. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I would recommend you go back and listen to our Exorcist 3 episode because it was quite fun. So, Karen, if they want to go back and uh, hear our back episodes, including where we talk about Exorcist 3 and a few other horror movies in there now and again, uh, where can they find us? They can find us on The Recommendation Game on Twitter, at The Rec Game, on The Recommendation Game on Facebook, The Recommendation Game at gmail.com, on the Dublin Digital Mix Cloud, and also on your podcast or choice and on Dublin Digital Radio every second Monday. And next week's film is chosen by Orla. I am picking The Beasts. Whopper. From a, a very, very, very handsome Spanish director. Um, uh, until then, I was Orla McNeilis. I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Whopper.